Welcome to the Legacy Nashville podcast. We are so grateful that you've taken the time out of your day or night to tune in. We pray that this message encourages you to love God, love people, and change the world. Now, let's get to the message. Acts chapter 10, verse 1 through 8. You ready? At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. A devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror, which is what happens when you have an angelic visitation, and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God, and now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him, and having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. So the title of the message today is this, the kind of community the Spirit builds. The kind of community the Spirit builds. Thank you, Lord, for your word that's everlasting, that never changes, and yet you always change us through it. Help me today to extract everything that you want our family to receive. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said, amen. amen. On your way to your seat, just look at your neighbor and say, I'm glad I'm sitting next to you. Yeah, I can tell y'all like each other. See, that's the type of community that the Holy Spirit builds right there. So our story today, remember, we're, we're, we're storytelling today. We're storytelling. Y'all, y'all with it? We're storytelling. So our story in Acts chapter 10, it starts with a man named Cornelius. And Cornelius is an outsider, and the reason I say that he's an outsider is because he is a Gentile, meaning he is a non-Jew. If you're not Jewish in here, you are a Gentile, right? So Cornelius, you might say, is one of us. And at this time, Cornelius is an outsider. And despite his heart to honor God, he and his household are not yet a part of the church. I mean, to be honest, they don't even know that the church exists. And if they did know that it existed, they wouldn't know that they could be a part of it. Cornelius, as a non-Jew, he's got a great heart. And he rightly acknowledges that the God of the Jews, whose name is Yahweh, we sing about him today, we sang to him today. Yahweh, the God of the Jews, is in fact God, the one true living God. And that's the reason that despite the fact that he and his household are Gentiles, the Jewish community that he is surrounded by respects him tremendously. We see the Bible teaches us that Cornelius, he fears God, and that means that he respects God or that he reveres God, but he knows something. He knows that he can never be Jewish. Therefore, he knows that he can never truly belong to the community of God 
that belongs to the Yahweh that he reveres and respects. Now, this brought me to ask myself a question this week, which is, I wonder how many Corneliuses there are out there. I'm talking about people who acknowledge the one true God, who believe the God that we worship, Jesus is in fact God, but they feel like it's impossible that they would ever be able to belong to a faith community or to a church. They're like a Cornelius. They're like, yep, I believe Jesus is Lord, but I could never go to church. Not me. I would never be accepted. I would never be celebrated. I'm too different. I'm an outsider. I'm not an insider. Now, you have to understand that what's happening here in Acts chapter 10 is happening in AD 40. Every now and then, it really helps to time stamp a story. Because if you just read the book of Acts and you go 1 through 10, you're thinking like, oh, chapter 10 means 10 months. No, in this case, chapter 10 means 10 years. That's quite a long time that the church has been going on. And up to this point, according to the apostles and their experience, the only Gentile that they know of that has been converted and baptized was the Gentile that we talked about last week, who's the Ethiopian eunuch. And get this, let's timestamp his conversion. Five years previous, to Acts chapter 10. Now, this is crazy to me because you're telling me that the first Gentile convert, and I'm a Gentile, so my father's, 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 I don't know how many times, father's father in the spirit as a Gentile convert was an anonymous, castrated, African guy from Ethiopia, and nobody even knew that he was a part of the church for five years. He's just a sole convert. I don't know about you, but as a history nerd, that's pretty fascinating. So uh, some of the history books actually teach us that the Ethiopian eunuch, as he went away rejoicing, that that was a biblical word for him being baptized in the spirit. And we know he was on the road back to Ethiopia and some of the early historical records have him becoming an evangelist himself, preaching the gospel to Ethiopia in Africa and eventually becoming a martyr. Now we don't even know his name, but we know he did work for the kingdom of God. It's an amazing guy. So if you look at Cornelius, the, we gotta know some things about Cornelius because remember we're storytelling today so we need to lay out a character sketch. If you look at Cornelius, you're, the first thing you have to know is that he's a non-Jew, right? So he's an outsider. He, he's a Gentile. The second thing you need to know is he's a centurion. Now, he's a part of a Roman army, but he is an Italian guy, right? He's the leader of the Italian cohort. And if you look in the original language, then we see who he is as a centurion is a leader of a hundred soldiers, which I thought this was pretty cool that God showed up to this Italian guy in the military. And I just can't help but to think maybe he looked like Mario, you know, because he's Italian. And so for some reason this whole week, as I'm like, because I just saw Mario with my son. And so like this whole week, I'm just picturing Cornelius with like a little fluffy hat. It's a Cornelius, you know. It's an angel. So like the whole week, I've just been thinking like, maybe he has some pizza going in there. You know, we don't know. A little bacon on it. 
I don't know. But we also know this, that he was devout. And that means that he was, that he was uh, righteous or he was rightly religious. He also fears God, meaning he reveres and respects God, as did his whole family. And we also know this, that he gives alms, which is what we call offerings, generously to people in need. Why is that? Because he didn't know he could go to church. He's like, I... I you know, I want to give to God, but I'm not allowed in the church. So what does this guy do? He starts looking for people who are in need, impoverished. And he said, at least I can give to them. At least I can be generous. At least I can share. And then we also know that he prays continually. So the most important thing you need to remember about Cornelius is that he's a Gentile, meaning he's an outsider. Now, of course, the apostles would have been aware, according to their study of scripture, that God has this big desire to save everybody, right? I mean, after all, the apostles received the great commission from Jesus. And Jesus said, I want you to go from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I want you to go to all nations. So they had to compute that and think, if we're going to go to all nations with this gospel, we're going to be preaching to people who are not Jewish, right? Because we're around all the Jews. We live in the country of the Jewish people, right? But we're going to go out and we're going to be preaching to people who are not Jewish. They would have known this. They would have thought about this, but here they are a decade in to doing church longer than we've been a church. And they've never seen even one person who is not Jewish step into their sanctuary and worship with them. So you have to understand at this point in time in history, all the Christians were just converted Jews. So even though they may call themselves Christians per se, they're followers of the way, their church expressed like Jewish synagogue. Imagine if you came in here today and it was just like, I just did all the Jewish stuff. Like I was dressed like a Jewish person. Like I had the strap around my arm. I'm rocking the yarmulke. Right? Well, you have to understand that for the first 10 years of the church, everybody who's a Christian and participating in the life of the church, they're just converted Jews. So as a Gentile, Cornelius is like, bro, I don't wear the hat. I don't have, I like, I don't spin the dreidel. I don't even know what that means. They just say that around Christmas. If anybody's Jewish in here, come tell me afterward. I, Cornelius is, I don't know what they're doing in there. You know, and it's like they're blowing shofars. I don't have a horn. Uh, I, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just, he doesn't know what to do. Right? We're just storytelling today. Look at your neighbor say, he's just telling a story today. Just telling a story. Now, the only... Uh, the, the only brush with a Gentile that the apostle Peter has even had is what we saw a few chapters ago whenever he's sharply rebuking Simon the sorcerer. And he may have even been a half Jew because uh, he was in uh, Samaria, I think, or Judea, or just outside of Jerusalem, right? And so we'll talk more about that in just a little bit. Uh, but it's important to note that for 10 years, they have not seen any Gentile converts. So perhaps that they were, they were thinking in their head, one day, one day, one day we're going to see a revival amongst those polluted, heathen, 
Gentiles, one day, I don't know what it's going to take because they're really far from God. I mean, they don't, they don't dress right. They don't know how to worship. They don't know who Yahweh is. They can't read the scripture. They don't speak Hebrew. But one day, one day, we know we have prophetic words. We have the scriptures that tell us that one day we know through prayer that God's heart, the Father's heart, is to encounter all of humanity through Jesus. But we don't know when that's going to happen. And it's been like 10 years. But one day, one day we know that it's God's heart that there's going to be a revival amongst these polluted heathens. So that also brought up a question for me this week. Like, who do you think this about? Like, whenever you think about people groups or, you know, groups of people in our society today, or you think about people you work with or think about people you see at the coffee shop, like, who do you look at and say that about? One day. There's going to be a revival amongst these polluted heathens. I mean, I've been hearing it for like a decade. I ain't seen nothing yet. They ain't showed up at our church before, but one day, one day, I believe, I believe, I I think it's going to happen. I have prophetic words. I've heard promises. Like who are the polluted heathens in your book? Is there a group of people in our society today that you have no hope for? Who are those people to you? Who are you thinking and saying, Unless God works some extremely peculiar supernatural miracle, there is no way that that group of people could ever get saved or come to a church. Who is that for you? Is that the LGBTQ plus community? It's quiet, right? If you're conservative, is that the liberals? If you're liberal, is that the conservatives? Oh, man, I'm meddling. I thought you were just storytelling, Pastor. You done got up in our business. We thought this was going to be a polite story. Well, we had to go out with a bang. If you're a Republican, is that the Democrats? If you're a Democrat, is that the, is that the Republicans? If you voted for President Biden, is that everybody who voted for Donald Trump? If you voted for Donald Trump, is that everybody who voted for Joe Biden? Man, I'm in y'all's pockets today. You you know what I'm saying? It's like, who is that that you're like, man, bro, like I believe. I have faith, but Lord, help my unbelief, man. Ain't no way, like for real, like God's going to have to really like, he's going to be having a good day. It's just good. I don't know what's going to have to happen for for the conservatives to get saved. I don't know what's going to happen for the liberals. Like who is that group to you? I don't know who that group is to you. I'm just asking, who is that group to you? Is it the rich elites? Is it the poor and the homeless? Like, is there a type of person or is there a group of people that if they got saved and they started coming to this church, you'd leave? Because that's happened before. You look, at, you look back not even just a few decades ago, uh, the Jesus people movement. You had people literally threatening their pastors. If you let those pot smoking hippies in here, I'm out. Hey, I'll leave. I'll leave. If you, start, if you start bringing people in here who are not like me, I ain't going to give no more. Right? Hey, man, I, I ain't going to be able to handle it. If you, start, if you start bringing homeless people in here, I ain't doing it. I'm going to go somewhere else. If, you know, man, if, if people from LGBTQ plus community get saved, I ain't coming here no more. I come in here. I'm not, I'm not worshiping next to somebody who used to be trans. I ain't going to do it. 
I mean, I'm asking some real questions today, aren't I, church? Is there a type of person or a group of people that if they got saved and they started coming to this church, you'd be like, I'm leaving. It's a great question because that's exactly the way the Jewish people were thinking at the time. Like, dude, these people are heathens. They're polluted heathens. Like, I dress a certain way, they wear anything they want. They don't even cover their heads. Their women cut their hair. They go to sporting events, which is actually true historically. They, they, uh, they, 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 they eat bacon. I don't eat no bacon. I'm, I, I eat kosher. You see, you, you see my point, church? Am I, am I ruining y'all's day? Just text your dad, say happy Father's Day. Just brighten it up a little bit. Just brighten it up a little bit. So, okay, yeah, we know that the Holy Ghost gives guidance to an insider. His name is Peter. Everybody say Peter. So I want you to know that. Like, yes, the Holy Ghost encounters the man of God, the apostle Peter, the pastor of the church, the first pope, whatever you want to call him. Yes, the Holy Ghost encounters him. But before the Holy Ghost encounters Peter, the Holy Ghost encounters not the insider, but the outsider. Right? He encounters Cornelius, who is a Gentile and not a Jew. And you know what that tells me? Is that the Holy Spirit is still going to pursue and encounter people who are outsiders. And unless the insiders have an encounter with the Holy Ghost themselves, they're not going to let them in. <laughs> you know, who are you like, there ain't no way they're coming in here. You're just one encounter short of welcoming the type of people you can't stand. Because <laughs> I can tell you this, the type of person you hate is the exact person that Jesus died for. And this was the thing about Jesus. This is why he frustrated everybody. Because he constantly hung out with people that you thought God would never surround himself with. I, I was reading this this week and I prayed. I said, Lord, I'd like to get into some trouble. I'd like to make a little holy mischief. I said, Lord, I would like to frustrate some people that see me hanging out with people that they feel I should never associate with. I mean, how judgy do we get, right? You know why? Because we haven't had an encounter. And when we haven't had an encounter, then we don't have God's perspective. And we're not able to look at the people that Jesus wants to save through the right perspective. We just see them as polluted heathens. And we'll come to church and we'll say amen when somebody prophesies, one day God's going to touch the polluted heathens. Amen. Amen. Just as long as they don't come to church here. They can start their own church. Are you with me? So the way in which God encounters the outsider is through a vision, right? Let me tell you what a vision is real quick because I know there are some fundamentalist Bible thumpers that come to church here and you're like, nope, this is the way God talks through the scripture. And yes, the, if you wanna hear God, the best way to hear from the Lord is to open your Bible. But God did not go mute whenever uh, the Bible was canonized. He still talks to you and I'm grateful. Thank you, Father. And he still speaks through visions. Amen? I'm grateful for it too. So here's what a vision is. A vision is just a mental picture that used by God to convey messages or reveal future events. 
And what, here's something I love, just real quick, is that the angel shows up and he says, hey, everything that you've been doing is a memorial before the Lord. What's a memorial? A memory. Hey, God's remembered you. Why is that? Because you pray all the time. And dude, as charismatics, we're like, that's right. I pray all the time. That's why God loves me. But what else does the angel say? Because you give offerings. I didn't realize I could give myself into an encounter. I'm gonna let that set for a little bit. A little sauce on the brisket. Just saying. So like, you know, God encounters this outsider. And then we see God then encounters uh, this insider. And, and I won't even go through that because we don't have time to read the whole scripture, even though I'm telling a story today. But the way in which he encounters Peter is he encounters Peter in a trance. You see, like, if you look at the, um, the first experience, which is a vision, uh, that's pretty radical. But a trance is like a mystical vision. So the guy who was an insider, he needed a little bit more than an angel. The Holy Ghost literally had to smack him and take him into a trance in order to give him the revolution, uh, revelation that he needed to open his eyes to see the people that God wanted to welcome into the church. And, you know, you see Peter, Peter goes up to the rooftop. We know uh, that his buddy, Simon the Tanner, had a house by the sea. He has a notable profession. So like Peter, the Pope, is chilling. I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm reading into it a little bit, but like he's at a nice house by the sea. He's hanging out. Man, I done, I done did my work. I'm, I'm, I'm a decade deep into ministry. Bless God. Revival fires hitting Jerusalem. It's amazing. And I, I don't know. I mean, I've received all the prophetic words and promises and I believe and I don't know when it's going to come, but maybe one day it's going to happen. And I'm a little hungry now. And, you know, we're about to have a kosher lunch and I'm going to go ahead and up, go to the rooftop and chill out, overlook the ocean. And I'm going to just spend a little time in prayer. It's not even like a scheduled time in prayer. And the Bible says that he fell into a trance. Now, I don't know the last time you fell on purpose. When you fall, you don't fall on purpose. You just fall. You, it's accidental, right? And so what I want to suggest to you is, is that you don't know when the Holy Spirit has like circled today's date on the calendar and has decided in advance that this is going to be a day that you're going to have a powerful encounter with the Holy Ghost and receive the revelation that you need in order to step into the prophetic words that have been declared over your life. But Peter went up to the rooftop. He got hungry. He said, man, you know, they're cooking. I, I, I'm a little bored right now, and, and I, I don't really know what to do. I guess I'll go pray. This is why you want to keep praying and keep praying when you get bored. Keep praying even whenever it doesn't seem like it's going to be any fun. Keep praying when you're waiting on a meal and ain't got nothing better to do. You just entertain yourself in prayer because you never know. Holy Ghost might cause you to fall into a trance. <laughs> and I'll take it. So a trance is a supernatural state of spiritual awareness. I'd like to go into a trance. Whenever the, the King Saul went into a trance, said the Holy Spirit transformed him into a different person and he began to prophesy despite the fact he didn't have that gift. That's pretty amazing. I'd like to operate in gifts that I don't possess because I go into a mystical state of spiritual awareness. All the, all the, do you remember those fundamentalist Bible numbers that I mentioned? Y'all are still back there. Y'all just like, what is this? All right, just get back to something else. But it's undeniable as you read through the book of Acts, look at Mark number 14 that we have here. It is through supernatural spiritual guidance that Jesus continues to build his church. Even if you look at Paul in the Macedonian call, Paul was going to Asia, right? He was going to the 1040 window, right? And it said he had a vision, said, no, no, the Holy Spirit's not telling you to go here. There's another guy, he's a Macedonian man, and he's saying, come here. 
what did that point Paul in the direction of? Europe. Like we literally have that spiritual moment to thank for so much of the legacy of faith that we have as a result of Paul's obedience going to Europe when he meant to go to Asia. It's crazy when you really think like, man, spiritual visions and angelic visitations, like God is building his church. And so that's gonna lead us into Mark 15 and Brian can play so that you guys feel safe and know I'm landing the plane and all that. But this brings us into Mark 15 because this is what Peter begins to preach. Whenever he goes and he visits, when he goes and he visits the Gentiles, he starts to preach. Verse, 30, uh, verse 43 in chapter 10, he says, to him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And he, he starts to realize, actually, you know what? Those polluted heathens that I have been believing God for, like kinda, I'm starting to witness they are receiving salvation. And in verse 44, it says, while he's preaching, the Holy Spirit falls on them. He's like, whoa, hold on. Like, if I was confused before about their interest in receiving salvation through Christ Jesus, I cannot be confused now because the Holy Ghost has possessed all of these uncircumcised bacon-eating Gentiles, and they're all talking in tongues. This is crazy. So he's having a, you know, a mesmerizing experience himself. It says right here, he was amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, even on the Gentiles. You see that word? Even on the Gentiles. It's like, even on the liberals. I'm offended. Even on the conservatives. What? You see what I'm saying? Like God will so offend your mind to reveal your heart. It happens all the time. And it's like, you can't baptize that person. Uh, you're not God. That person can't be saved. Says who? You didn't go to the cross. And I, I give God praise for this. Right? And, and, and we're, we're an encounter away from being made aware of who Jesus wants to go and get and bring in to the family. And this was evidence for Peter and the other Jewish people who were there, the Jewish Christians, uh, that, okay, the door of salvation has been kicked open. And this has always been God's plan. This is what he wants. So let me just talk a little bit about Mark 15 and we'll pray. Um, but I think we all would agree that God wants everybody to get saved. 2 Peter 3 9 says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish. You, you see that? He has no desire that people should die and go to hell, but that all should reach repentance and be with him in paradise one day. That, that's the desire of God. Do we all agree on that? God wants everyone, so everybody is invited in. And when people don't come, that's when he says, go out to the highways and the byways and everybody who's denied the RS, RS, RSVP, I want you to get them. I don't care if they're sick, if they're lame, if they're poor, if they look different, get them in my house. My house is supposed to be full. There's bread in my house. Tell them to come in. And as we go out and as we do this and as people get saved and people become a part of the family, what it builds is it builds a diverse expression. And listen, if you don't like diversity, you're not gonna like heaven. 
Because there's going to be so many different types of people in heaven that you never had the opportunity to meet in your life. And they're going to speak languages that you don't know. And just like Teofilo said, when he was here, you're going to be standing here and there's going to be somebody from another country here. And they're going to be worshiping Jesus in a tongue you've never heard of. And then there's going to be somebody over here and they're going to be worshiping Jesus in another tongue that you've never heard of. And you're going to turn around and you're going to see a, you know, a Chinese lady, a English man. You're going, to see, you're going to see all kinds of people from all kinds of different countries people from Africa and Asia and Korea and Japan and South America. And we're, we're definitely going to know where the Brazilians are because you can't miss them. And you know what I'm saying? Fogo de Dios. Gabe, I was expecting an amen. I, I, I did Fogo de Dios. It's fire of God, by the way, for those of you guys who've never been to Brazil. But it's going to be a diverse place. Do you guys believe that? Heaven is a diverse place and God does value diversity, but not just diversity by itself. It's not just diversity by itself. It's actually Mark 15, Mark number 15, not Mark chapter 15, Mark number 15 of a book of Acts church. It is unity in diversity. Because if we just go after diversity, we may never get unity. And, and, and God wants diversity, but he wants, he wants unity in diversity diversity. And I know right now there's like a lot of people talking about diversity. And I, I was praying about this this week, and I really do believe that we are going to see so much unity in diversity in the church. And I believe that that's one of the reasons why the enemy is attacking so hard through the culture with a counterfeit expression of diversity and saying, if you don't choose to do it this way, then you're wrong and we're gonna cancel you. But it's not just diversity that we should value, it is unity in diversity that we should value because our culture values diversity, but they do not value unity. We wanna be diverse, but here's what we're gonna celebrate, our divisions, our divorces, our discord, our disappointments. We're gonna value all that, I'm right, I don't care, I'll separate from you. And yet at the same time, we're being told, hey, this is what's important, it's diversity. Yes, God cares about diversity, but he cares about unity in diversity because it's not just about pursuing our differences, it's about celebrating Jesus, which is what we all have in common, despite how we grew up, despite where we came, from despite what our ethnicity is, despite what our nationality is, despite what generation we're from, what we have in union with one another is that we are all followers of Jesus. And if we will focus on him as the goal, not just being diverse, we can say, I am in union with Jesus. You're in union with Jesus. We can have union together as a family and in Unity, we will celebrate our diversity. You're a little bit different than me. I'm a little bit different than you. I'm a little bit younger than you. You see what I'm saying? But we're all together. Yes, we're all together. And this is important because I believe God wants a unified, diverse church. Me and Allison, we want us to be a diverse church. But just because we're diverse doesn't mean we've achieved God's dream for his church. We must have unity in our, diverse, in our diversity. So just real quick, I, I, I just like, I literally just this week, I just threw like four quick points because I could feel that there would probably be questions. People ask, well, how are we gonna do that? Just real quick, number one is value diversity by choosing to see people who are different from you through God's perspective. Tap into his love for them through prayer. 
You notice it's hard to hate people you pray for? You ever notice that? And the more, more upset I am with somebody, it's crazy how when I go to a place of prayer and I ask for God's perspective on that person and I begin to see them through the lens of the cross and I say, God loved this person so much for God so loved, fill in the blank, that he sent his only son. Man, this person's actually really special. It's actually really beautiful. I gotta find what it is that God loves about them so I can love that out of them, right? Uh, number two is ask for help from the Holy Spirit to show you who to pursue and to welcome into fellowship. For you, know, for you to welcome some people, it's gonna take a supernatural encounter. You're gonna need an encounter with the Holy Spirit where God says, this is the person I want you to go to. Um, and number, number, number three is as our church becomes more diverse, value what we have in common, our relationship with Jesus over what we don't, which is, by the way, everything else. The most important thing about you is that you are a follower of Jesus. Last one, number four, because we're a spiritual family, we seek to love and to serve one another and preserve the harmony of the community. You know, I, um, I haven't thought about this, so I'm just kind of shooting from the hip at this point, but um, I've, I've heard over the years people talk about the church and they say, oh, well, you know, you can just belong before you believe. And, um, you know, I'm not saying you can't belong to a friend group or a community group, but you don't belong to the church without faith in Christ Jesus and confessing the creedal statements that the church has held fast to for thousands of years that are biblically based and important to God and must be important to us. We're not creating a community club where we just come in and we're like, hey man, this is cool and it's kind of trendy because it's kind of church, but we don't really care what you think or we don't really care who you are and we don't really care if you stay in your sin and you can kind of do whatever you want. No, you can't and belong to the church. We serve a holy God. And he requires us to step into holiness by faith through what he's accomplished for us on the cross. Yes, you need to believe. You need to believe. You need to believe. And, and, and if you don't yet, I want you to know, whenever we stand up in a moment and pray, you can come up here to the altar. We'll have people who are ready to pray for you and welcome you into the family of God as you express your repentance to the Lord and you are sorrowful for your sin and you throw yourself at his mercy and you receive his grace by faith and you receive the forgiveness of your sins and you're washed clean by the blood of the lamb and you are adopted into a spiritual family which is called the kingdom of Christ Jesus, the church. And that's... That's what we're offering, because <laughs> that's what he offered on the cross. This ain't a community club, but it is a church. And if you want to be a part of it, there's only one way in, Jesus. Not cool, not culture, not style, not vibe, just Jesus. So let's stand and come to him in prayer. Jesus, we love you. We love you, we love you, we love you, we love you. We were singing this before I got up to speak. We just want you, God, more than anything else. King of glory, king of glory, we just want you. We just want you. So we ask you to help us today to apply all 15 marks of the book of Acts church that you have revealed to us over the last six months of our study together. Lord, we're grateful for the summer months where we get to dive into worship. And may every single one of these marks be applied to this church 
and be relentlessly pursued by this community until we truly experience the biblical church that you have in your heart to plant and establish in Nashville, Tennessee in 2023. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Thanks for tuning into the Legacy Nashville podcast. If you'd like to support the ministry, you can do so at LegacyNashville.org forward slash give. If you're listening on iTunes, log into the store and give us a good rating and review. This helps our podcast reach new people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Until next week, love God, love people, and go change the world.